To be alive, Broncos are back in the building today, and Nathaniel Hackett is delivering his first speech in front of the team today. And welcome in to the DNVR Broncos podcast. I'm your host, Zach Stevens, joined by my man, Andrew Mason. And we are going remote today because we've got to jump to some Broncos press conferences because they're back in the building, which means we're back in the building today, right after this show. And we got a really interesting show for you. But first, I got to tell you about our presenting sponsor, MSU Denver Online, because Time and time again, the one thing that will protect you against economic downturn is an education allowing you to adapt into varying careers. And you can go build your toolbox over at MSU, whether you want to take one class or whether you want to look at all of their 750 classes and earn a degree from that, you can do that over at MSU Denver Online. And they have mastered the art of online learning because they went to online learning before the pandemic forced everyone to go there. So they have many steps up on the rest of the competition. So check them out over at MSU. Denver online. My boy, Mace, how is it going, my friend? Muted. Oh, Mace, we can't hear you. Okay. There we go. We got you. Yeah, I didn't even do anything that time. Um, yeah, this is yeah, it's this is way too much energy for April. We gotta you gotta have a slow build here. Build it up slowly, slowly, slowly. If we have too much enthusiasm now, you're not gonna have enough enthusiasm left for when it really matters in the season. So uh, I'm, I, nice ca- I, I'm caffeine, a- caffeine, caffeine will keep us going. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to cut back on caffeine. So <laughs> I actually haven't even had my uh, my morning cup of coffee yet. Yeah, you're it's it's just nat- it's just natural for you. The rest of the the rest of us need a need a jolt in the morning. <laughs> I'm just trying to. Uh, I, I'm just trying to uh, live off the Nathaniel Hackett energy bump. Yeah, yeah. That that, that is that, that is a good point. That is a good point. But man, I just maybe maybe it's just I've seen too many of these. And I'm like, okay, it's it, it's the start. Let's. I'll get ex- I'll get excited when they're actually going against each other. That's that's the thing. I'll, I'll I'll get excited when they're going against each other. Not this day. Hey, it's good to get started, but there's a long way to go until September. <laughs> yes, there is. And today is kind of the first step in that process. Like you said, Mace, today they're really just getting together to work out on the field, to work out. And when I mean on the field, I mean like uh, conditioning. And then they're in the weight room as well. There's no football actually being played for these next couple of weeks. That will ramp up in the next couple of weeks. But there is something with the Broncos that is already ramping up, and that is the ownership situation. We knew this was going to take a couple of months to play out, but we've kind of heard details here and there about some people having interest, some other people not having interest, some bids being placed, and what we've kind of found out uh, a lot from the New York Post at the end of last week was that last Friday was the deadline to submit initial bids to get in on the Broncos ownership sweepstakes. So we're putting in 
kind of their their final first bid to get their shoe in the race to make sure that they were in the next couple of weeks. Now, what we also learned in that article was the final auction will happen in about roughly six weeks. So that means we could know the next owner of the Broncos by the end of May before the summer starts. And then that means that then, then the next couple of weeks after that and the next few months will kind of be the vetting process, making sure that they get the owner's approval for this person, making sure that all the finances are backed up and really starting that transition to the next owner to have a new owner by the start of the season. So that's kind of where we are with the ownership standpoint from a big picture right now. But one of the big things, maybe the biggest thing we got from that New York Post piece was that Samuel Robson Walton has emerged as one of the potential bidders for the Broncos. In fact, the New York Post said that Samuel Robson Walton, who is called Rob Walton, and so we'll just call him Rob Walton, has indeed put in a bid for the Broncos for over $4 billion. Now, we've talked about some other people that have potentially put in bids in the past, But why does Rob Walton get his own podcast? Because if he wants the team, the team is his. Of course, Rob Walton comes from the Walton family, which is the Walmarts. His dad was a co-founder of Walmart. Uh, Rob Walton worked as a chairman uh, of Walmart for 23 years, and he is worth a whopping $70 billion. $70 billion, which makes him one of the top 20 richest people in the world. Other people that are in competition for the Broncos, some have a couple billion dollars in their pocket. Others are building groups uh, in order to buy the Broncos, and, and those people have you know a couple billion in their pocket. But Rob Walton, $70 billion, blows all of them out of the water. So it's viewed as if he wants the Broncos, it's going to be his. Did did you lose me again? Oh, I got you. Okay, yeah, they, yeah. This is. I don't know what the problem is. I've got five hundred megabytes uh, of of speed on this connection, so I don't know what the deal is. Um, so where did you lead? Where where did you lead lead off? You just gave the the four one one on Rob Walton. If Rob Walton wants the team, it's his because of his $70 yeah. billion dollars net worth compared to other guys that that are bidding for the team, which are only, you know, a couple billion dollars. Yeah. I mean, it was actually it's actually interesting. I know we've seen $70 billion uh, throw, thrown out there, but the uh, I think the uh, the latest uh, the latest one from Forbes had him at $65 billion, But I mean, that's neither here nor there. Basically, it's it either way. He'd be the well. He'd be the wealthiest NFL owner in terms of net worth if he bought the Broncos. So, effectively, unless someone like Jeff Bezos gets into the conversation, he can simply outbid anyone else who's coming to the table on this. And so, if he if he wants the team, in theory, it's his. He can make well, a, and- he can make a cash buy on it on top of everything else, which is another thing that that has come up that it only that that you don't they don't want all of the they, they don't want a heavily leveraged bid they prefer as much cash as possible and all rob walton has to do is convert some is, is to you know, he is to uh, just get enough liquidity and certainly there's enough there's enough in his net worth to generate four or five six billion dollars uh, of liquid and say okay here's the check boom and then and then the team is his 
Well, and so with that, because why it doesn't really matter what his true net worth is, whether it's seventy billion, whether it's sixty-five billion. I think uh, Bloomberg came out and said his net worth was sixty-two billion. That yeah. still made him the eighteenth richest person in the entire world. And if we want to compare not just to other people that are bidding on the Broncos, but if we want to compare that to other NFL owners, he would instantly be the wealthiest owner in the NFL right away, blowing out the rest of the competition because you have David Tepper, who is the second right now. He's the wealthiest owner in the NFL. He's worth just under 17 billion, 17 billion compared to Rob Walton, 70 billion. It's hard to wrap your mind around those numbers, but what is that? He's worth four times more than the second wealthiest owner. In fact, if you look at the other owners in the NFL, only about eight of them are worth more than $7 billion. That means Rob Walton would be t- more than 10 times richer than 24 of the other owners, which is just insane. And that's why Rob Walton has his own podcast now and will likely have his own podcast or two or three or four dedicated for him in the future because if he wants it, it is his. And Mace, when we talk about this big of money, is that a good thing for the Broncos of potentially being owned by Rob Walton? In theory, it is because if he wants a new stadium, for example, that net worth would allow him to do what Stan Kroenke did in Los Angeles with SoFi Stadium to say, all right, I want to build this huge development with a stadium with associated uh, retail, uh, maybe even a, a theater attached to it. I, I want to build Broncos Shangri-La, Broncos Xanadu, somewhere in the Denver area, and I can just write a check for it. I'll tell you this, with his net worth, if he, if he starts trying to shake down the city and county of Denver and then <laughs> other counties in the area for, uh, for a deal to help build a new stadium, uh, he's going to get the cold shoulder. This net worth set this net worth says he ought to be able to do everything that he wants in terms of facilities and whatnot on his own. Wait, and so you think, you think that he wouldn't ask for taxpayer help for building a new stadium? I think, it, I, I think if he asked for taxpayer help and I were anyone in the city and County, I'd be like, no, absolutely not. Mm, because absolutely. I, th- yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I honestly, I would be, I would be disgusted if somebody worth this much said, I want to build a stadium, but I'm going to need you to to kick in 20%, 30%. Be like, are you kidding me? No way. No way. <laughs> well, Maze, I, I think you come from a very rational standpoint, but uh, 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 there, there's a, a saying out there, the rich are richer for, for a reason. They're not just giving money out. And it, this is a thing that cities do. In fact, Denver has done before. So I'm just preparing people that even though he could pay for this and it would barely make a dent in his wallet, wouldn't be shocked if he is asking for 25%, 30% from the public yeah. to show their, you know, he, the way you tell, show that commitment to your Broncos team. And again, I agree. I think that would just, I, I mean, it, it's stupid at that point, taking from the average person when he has so much money. And I'm not saying that this is something that Rob himself would do, but wealthy people, that that's the way they think. Well, if I can get this tax break, if I can get some help, I'm absolutely going to take it. So I don't think it's out of the question that that would happen. I don't think it's out of the question either. And I would hope that if it did happen, that they would, that again, they take the rational approach. Now, the thing is, my. 
Well, we lost Mace again. And one of the things that comes with that is showing a commitment, you know, because Rob Walton could come in. He could come in and say, I'm going to move the team to a different city. Now, I think there's one thing that really stands out why he wouldn't do that, but that's kind of a threat that he could have against the city. And one of the things that that makes me think that he's not going to do that is Rob Walton has so many connections to Denver. He has lived in Denver. He has called Colorado his permanent home in the past. He has a couple places here, I believe. Uh, and he he also has a lot of family that's in Denver. He has ties to Stan Kroenke. They're, they're uh, connected by a sister-in-law. Uh, and so he has a lot of ties to the Colorado community. So I think when he would be moving here uh, and buying the Broncos, I do not think it would be to take them and move them to a different city because I think his connection to Colorado uh, is real. And I think that is something that uh, is appealing to him. While as uh, Mace, you brought up Jeff Bezos earlier, he doesn't really have ties to Colorado. His ties are to Washington and Washington, D.C. And that's why we really haven't heard Jeff Bezos tied to the Broncos is because he's interested in potentially buying the Seahawks or potentially buying the Washington Commanders. Rob Walton, he does have some connections to Colorado. Yeah, son lives here, of course, and uh, Rob Walton spent a lot of time in Colorado. I think Rob Walton at one point did have a residence in in he Colorado. Did. So there's there there is a there's a connection. You hope that connection and affinity for Colorado would allow him to do the right thing if it's time to get a new stadium and say <laughs> I'm going to go the route of my of of uh, my cousin in law Stan Kroenke because. Uh, Stan Kroenke married Ann Walton. Ann Walton is uh, the daughter of the late Bud Walton. Uh, Rob Walton is the son of the late Sam Walton to kind of uh, bring out kind of the family connections there. And uh, that's, I mean, honestly, that is my hope that if I'm being optimistic, it is in the, 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 the success of SoFi Stadium to this point and where it can go. And Perhaps Rob Walton looking at what happened for Stan Kroenke in Inglewood, California, and thinking, I could replicate that here and do it my way, and I have the resources to do it. I mean, yeah, and so is this yeah. something that we're talking about, a mega facility out by DIA, or is the $70 billion, is that something where we can talk? He doesn't go and have to get a bargain out by DIA where land is cheaper. Is this something where we could actually be talking about maybe a new stadium where the old Mile High Stadium was, which is in the parking lot of Empower Field right now, or somewhere closer to Denver? Perhaps. Now, the thing is, do they consider that footprint over there to the west of I-25 enough to accomplish everything that they want to. Like, for example, uh, one, and this is where having 65, 62, $70 billion of net worth, th this can help. If you're going to maximize the land there, it's going to probably be something that is a little more dense. And maybe instead of parking lots per se, you're, you have parking garages, right? Right. Uh, like that is something that, uh, for example, in Atlanta and it, down in Atlanta, uh, there is a fair amount of public funding with that, with what the Braves built, because it they have the stadium and they have some office towers and they have a couple of hotels and restaurants and they have a lot of rental property of, of uh, apartments there that the way that the a lot of the parking there is in parking, parking decks, parking garages rather than at mile high you've got these lots that spread out which for example they're great for tailgating right 
But mm-hmm. one thing about that land right now is I think we can say it's probably not the best use of the land on a 365-day-a-year basis. That you just have this, this land sitting right right on the other side of 25 from downtown, adjacent to two light rail stations, and one on one on the west line, one on the north-south line. And 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 most of the year you have these just parking parking spots that are just sitting there empty most of the time there's better there's better ways to do that it's a question of just whether he feels he feels that would be the best use of the land because another thing that's possible zach is he may look at that and say okay if i can get if i can get my hands on that land there is does the state is the best use of it having a stadium there or is it developing that having a real estate development there without a stadium and then developing a, a Bronco centric place somewhere out towards the somewhere out towards DIA, perhaps uh, somewhere uh, off of off of Pena or between between Pena and uh, and the Gaylord and some of the other hotels out there. So it's a question of just I think what he views as the best value for it. And I think also it may depend on what his other ambitions are. I mean, does he end does he end up partnering with with Stan Kroenke perhaps because there have been rumblings that eventually Stan Kroenke would like to build a new arena and perhaps build his arena out East. Is it something where you've, you've got a, a mega sports complex that has developed uh, if Rob Walton buys the Broncos because of the connect of the familial connections these two have. I mean, there's, a, there are a lot of possibilities in play. Yeah, that's what I think ends up happening. Even though he could have the money to keep it in Denver, I think the idea of not just having a stadium, but having a little city center that you build and that you build around and that you own all of, and it just makes so much money. And then it's not only a football stadium, but it is where World Cups are held. It is where Super Bowls are held. It is where the draft is held. It is where so many things, uh, of course, concerts are held. And it's also easy to get in and get out of not necessarily for the people of Denver, but for people flying in and out because it's close to DIA. There is a light rail uh, station that goes right by there. So it that that would make sense. And one thing that roof maybe Yes, of course, a, a roof to make it that Super Bowl uh, destination and a world destination and a place where you can have concerts year around. Uh, and one thing that it would also be, Mace, we think in Walmart at Mile High Stadium. Uh, hey, Walmart doesn't need any more kind of any more brand identification. I mean, one of the things like Pepsi Center, why did Pepsi need to go put its name on arena? Everybody knows Pepsi. Everybody knows Mm -hmm. Walmart. If you're Walmart and you want to put one of your own brands on the stadium, you'd put like a sub brand, right? Like Mm -hmm. uh, I, 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 I threw it out there just for, for giggles. Their off-brand of Mountain Dew is called Mountain Lightning. You're right near the mountains. Mountain Li- Mountain Lightning <laughs> Field at Mile High Stadium. <laughs> Mountain Lightning at Mile High Stadium. I like it. And uh, we have some great comments coming in about this. Zach says no rollbacks on winning, please. Uh, and uh, we have so we, we have well we have we have Walmart Super Center coming in from Mr. Orange. Some great comments. And we've kind of just broken down the be very beginnings of what mm-hmm. what a what Rob Walton ownership could mean for the Broncos. And Mace, I want to get into more positives and potential negatives about that. But first, I got to 
tell you to roll by the DNVR bar because it is playoff time. And I promise you, there is no better place to watch the Avs and the Nuggets than over at the DNVR bar. And you get the big beer for the price of a small beer. That's our member beer when you're a member over at D- the DNVR.com. You also get a free t-shirt when you sign up for the annual membership. But make sure to stop by the bar for a Nuggets and Avs playoff game. Of course, Nuggets kicks off their playoffs this Saturday night. Make sure to be there before Easter. Get your weekend going great with us over at the DNVR bar and of course at the dnvr.com where you can leave your comments if you're a member with us and of course if you can't get over the dnvr bar but you want to you want to watch the nuggets and the avalanche and the rapids and the mammoth well check out ivaca tv because you can watch all the colorado teams you love with ivaca ivaca is a totally new paradigm for television delivery that is less expensive more efficient and offers a superior picture compared to the legacy providers, and the service includes local networks like Altitude Sports and other national channels, and they're growing constantly and adding new channels to their lineup, including AT&T, Sportsnet, Rocky Mountain. That's right. Now you can watch the Rockies with Ivaca TV. So you sign up for Ivaca TV. You never have to worry about missing any Denver team's sporting event because they've got Altitude, they've got that they've got AT&T sports, Rocky mountains. They have the nuggets. They have the Rockies. They have the abs, the mammoth, even like the mammoth, the rapids DU. And of course they've got local channels as well, which means you can watch every Denver Broncos game. Ivaca is now available in markets like Denver, Colorado Springs, Phoenix, Boise, and twin falls, Idaho. And to sign up, go to Ivaca.tv slash DNVR. That's Ivaca, E-V-O-C-A tv slash dnvr use the promo code dnvr and you'll get ten dollars off your first three months that's only fifteen dollars per month for the first three months plus the cost of a receiver you do that and you will never miss a denver team's sporting event again if you check out evoca tv that's evoca tv slash dnvr and use the promo code dnvr and get ten dollars off your first three months over there a lot of talk about the Nuggets, and I'm going to continue that talk because over at DraftKings Sportsbook, if you bet $5 on any NBA team to win in the playoffs, you'll get 150 free dollars instantly in your account. No better way to start your account than 150 free dollars in your account, and that'll just get you rolling into the playoffs. So make sure to use that code DNVR over at DraftKings Sportsbook when you sign up to get this offer of betting $5 on a team, and if they win, you win $100. $150 in free bets. You may want to do that on the Nuggets. They're underdogs, so you may want to go with a different team. We understand. We want you to get that $150 by going to DraftKings Sportsbook. So head to the App Store now, download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app, and use promo code DNVR to get to turn $5 into $150 in free money uh, during the play-in tournament. So you can't bet on the Nuggets. Bet on one of the games tonight and tomorrow over at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. All right, Mace. We broke down kind of the beginning of Rob Walton and what he would bring. But now let's talk about some strengths and some weaknesses. You kind of touched on this one already, but I want to talk about it. So we've already talked about how he'd be the richest owner in the NFL immediately. And I actually do want to dive into that a little more. That would mean he could do anything he 
once. There would never be a question of money, whether we're talking about firing a coach, whether we're talking about blowing out an entire staff, whether we're talking about signing Russell Wilson to a uh, 10-year, $500 million contract. He has all the money to do that. Uh, And if you want to drink right now, he could put that money in escrow uh, because there we go. May's taking a sip because I said escrow. He could put that money in escrow and it's not a big deal. I mean, he could sign everyone on the team to a, a, a 10-year, $500 million contract and have enough money to put in escrow. So that wouldn't be an issue. Football, non-football, and then like we talked about, also stadium. Whether it's stadium, uh, just touch-ups that they need, whether it's building an entire new stadium, he can do that all. So the money, to me, is really important. And that's something that you would never have to worry about with him. Well, and the thing is, the guarantees have become more and more important on contracts, particularly at quarterback. Look at what uh, Jimmy Haslam uh, owning the Browns just did in terms of giving Deshaun Watson a contract that was full, that was guaranteed. And for top-level quarterbacks, I think that's the way contracts are going to go now. We're going to see more of the Deshaun Watson deal, uh, the Kirk, the Kirk cousins, the Kirk cousins, pardon, pardon me deal back in 2018. What kind of blew every way, everybody away on that contract was Ziggy Wolf guaranteed every dollar of it. And as we see the evolution of how players view their contracts and what they want out of it, the guarantee it, it's more and more about the guarantee. And that would, and that would never be, an issue. And I think, I, I think there's that, that's actually part of the strategy here in terms of Russell Wilson. Everyone's wondering, okay, hey, why, why isn't Russ signed an extension? Came to Denver. Why isn't he signed an extension? First of all, they've got two years. Second of all, they weren't, that's something that very much is going to be on the next ownership group. Pure right. and simple. And when you have two years, uh, you, you've got that time. Now, that being said, would it surprise me at all if, after the sale closes, and probably we are talking about a sale closing at some point over the summer, it could go into training camp right up to the start of the regular season. After the sale closes, would it surprise me at all if, if a one of the first tasks was, let's get Russell Wilson signed to a deal ASAP? No, I don't think it would. And if you're talking about Rob Walton, he could say, I'm going to guarantee every penny of this. No problem. Mm-hmm. If that, yep. And what that could do is it might it might mean that maybe you're not looking at an audacious uh, number. Oh, because I like say, oh, it, it's five hundred uh, million over 10 years. We might be talking about two hundred fifty million dollars guaranteed over five. Right. So right. it might it might it's a different it's a different kind of big number. And it would be obviously massive. But uh, for, for Rob Walton to do that, it's it would be very easy and i don't think he would be pursuing this this uh, this line of work as it were to own an nfl team if he were not prepared to write those kind of big checks put it in escrow right right away to preserve assets on the team i think he he wouldn't be doing this without a lot of careful study and knowing what he was getting into in terms of the type the types of costs he'd be absorbing I agree. And Mesa, I think that's kind of another strength of this potential uh, owner of Rob Walton buying the team. And that is he's 77 years old, which I will talk about in a second in a different light. He's 77. He has $70 billion. I don't think right now he's at that stage of his life where he's trying to buy assets to grow them and just for financial gain. Now, obviously, he'd want to buy the Broncos and would hope that they would go up so that his value goes up so that he's richer and looks richer. And that's so what he passes down to his kids uh, is even more valuable. But I think he would want to do this for his own entertainment purposes to uh, to to 
to have to be in a club that only 32 people in the world are involved in. And that is something elite. And then I think he would want to dominate. And if you look what he's done in his life, he has been successful in everything he's done. Uh, of course, being part of Walmart for 23 years, as specifically as a chairman, having $70 billion net value, I think he would come in here and he would want to win. Now that's a little speculation, but I think at this point in his life, that would be his focus is trying to build the Broncos back into a championship. And I think one thing that another strength about this may is him being the sole owner. That's important in the NFL. The NFL has wanted just one owner, not groups, if they can get that. And I think from uh, from just looking at it from the Broncos' perspective, I think it's better if it's just one owner uh, owning the team. And that's why I think that's a positive for the Broncos. Yeah, now, I mean, the league still wants uh, minority representation somehow, some way. So... And we'll get I, into that in a I second. Do, I do wonder if it's going to be something where if Rob Walton buys the team that he owns, say, 98% of it, and that you have a you have a minority investor, something that the NFL has said, that they, they want to see minority representation somewhere in the ownership group. So is it something where it's like 98-2? Is it 90-10, depending, uh, depending on the level of investment? I could see that I could see that happening and uh and and that's one that's one thing I don't think it complicates it but um I think I think it's one thing that maybe gets worked out kind of in in the interim to say all right okay you can afford to to pay this in terms of cash but even if it's just 1% we'd love it if you had some minority representation particularly some black representation in there because that's what most and that's that's what nfl ownership is in general lacking but uh that that being said there's the fiduciary responsibility the trust to take the highest bid regardless i the trust would like to see minority representation and ownership group as well but if ultimately rob walton says i want to go it alone and i can write the check there's really nothing that can be done now do you think that that's do would do you think it's better to have a group by a team, or do you think it's better to have just one person? I think it's better to have, I think you can have a group as long as there's one person who is firmly in control. I think you don't want to, I don't, I think the NFL really doesn't want a group where the managing partner has 30% and then the other 70% comes from a consortium. I think the NFL would, the NFL would prefer a group where if it, if it happens, one person has a significant percentage enough to where they're in firm control and that you can define that any way you want, whether it's uh, 60, whether it's 50 plus one or even 60, 70, 80, 90 percent. I think they they would prefer that sort of that sort of arrangement where there is one person firmly in charge. And then if you have a few other small investors at, say, one percent, two percent. That's that's something they'd be okay with, and that's actually a structure that you see with quite a few teams around the league, where you have uh, over the years, uh, you, you ha you've had situations develop where you've got 
various people owning 1%, 2%, and then somebody who's in charge controlling 80, 85%. I think what was David Tepper? What did, doesn't, didn't he just buy he, the whole thing with no, he was a hundred percent, but you look at the, you look at the 49ers, for example. And then, I mean, obviously it's the, uh, the York family. Now uh, it was uh, Eddie DeBartolo, but they had a few people that uh, were kind of legacy uh, that the legacies that were involved with the team earlier that do have, that did, that do and did have, have say 1%, 2%. There was a guy, uh, Frank Franklin Muley who owned the Warriors for a long time in the NBA for many years had had still like a 1% share in the 49ers, but it was firmly in DeBartolo and now York control. So that's the sort of thing where I th- as long as there's one person in firm control, that's the big, that's the big concern of, of the league. One is one, one person who is clearly making all the decisions and has a clear majority of the team. That's the most functional environment. I do think it would be great to have that minority one, two, ten, twenty percent. That's just not going to happen with a guy that has seventy billion dollars. I don't see him saying, "Yeah, I'll take a uh, a five hundred million dollar discount in order to give someone a couple percentage percentages of this team." He would buy it outright, even though that's that's ideal to have that. And Mace, that is a, a negative and, and a weakness for Rob Walton owning this team is that. There, there's absolutely no diversity here. And that's something that we know the NFL wants, the Broncos want. It's something that needs to happen is diversity in NFL ownership. Uh, and that would just not happen here. It would be pretty much exactly the same line of what the Broncos just had. We're talking about a very, very, very successful businessman uh, who's 77 years old. He's white, so doesn't bring diversity. He, he kind of just fits the club of what the NFL owners are right now. And again, that's not something that, the trust is going to hold against him that much. If his offer comes in at $5 billion and the next closest offer is $4.5 billion, the trust is going to have to have that fiduciary responsibility to take the extra $500 million. Uh, But it's just something that it doesn't help his case, although the money can really just buy that over and it's not going to like hold him back. Yeah. And he, look, it's a question of whether he wants to do it. And again, uh, if he, And I think what Mace was going to say is if he wants the team, it is his. And it would just be, it, it would be a bummer to not have for another sale of a team to go down and not have that diversity. And then, and especially because then you take a step back from the NFL's perspective specifically, and you look at the Seahawks potentially being the next team to sell or the Washington Commanders really being that next team to sell. And if Jeff Bezos is involved, well, then it's going to be just another guy. That's that's a, an older guy, an older white guy that's going to buy that team. And it just keeps going down this hill. And the Broncos do have some good candidates out there that are interested in buying the team that are black, that are minority. But if Rob Walton wants it, well, it's going to be his. And so now we'll go back to another positive here. And Rob Walton, when you read about him and you get to know who he is as a person, Man, there's a lot of things that remind you of Pat Bolin, and I think that's something that Broncos fans would love to see. Since this team is not staying in the Bolin family, it would be cool to see a guy that has had some similar background as Pat Bolin. Rob Walton has ties to Canada, and another thing that he has ties to that we know Pat Bolin had ties to was was just being an outdoorsman. Rob Walton's a pilot. He's a hunter. He used to race sports cars. And also, he did the Hawaii 
Iron Man, just like Pat Boland did. In fact, Rob Walton took a sabbatical year uh, when he was the chairman of Walmart and uh, just just trained for the Iron Man out in Hawaii. And he did that. We know Pat's done that race as well. So th- th- there's some similar ties there that I think people could buy behind from the emotional standpoint of this. I guess. I mean, that's. You know, I, I, he he comes from a completely uh, different background business-wise, of course. I mean, um, although they both have a legal background to them, I don't know if you mentioned if if you mentioned that, but um, you know, effectively, you know, R- Rob Walton being being this being the chairman for what what for what probably still is the large are they? I don't know if they're still the largest retailer in the world because they probably come in behind Amazon now. But mm. the largest brick and mortar retailer in the world. So he, I, I think, business wise, there's there, there's definitely a different background. They, they share some traits, but I would say that doesn't mean I I, I expect I expect anything like Pat Bowen. I, I don't know honestly. I don't know what to expect from uh, from from Rob, Rob Walton. I mean, uh, is he going to do whatever it takes to win? Certainly, he has the financial wherewithal to do so. For Pat Bowen doing whatever it took to win meant that he was stretching himself to the limit quite a bit over, over time, uh, especially in the, uh, especially in the 19, 1990s. And it doesn't doing everything to win doesn't necessarily require that same uh, uh, level of discomfort from Rob Walton, given, uh, given his net worth. The one thing I will say that I hope is different if from Rob Walton and, and Pat Bowen is I hope the succession plan is a lot different. I hope well, and. I hope it's a clear succession plan. Unlike one like Mace, what, that's probably the, the biggest concern yeah. when, when we talk about Rob Walton being 77 years old. And so I want to dive into that and how it could be different. But first, got to tell you about our friends over at Light Shade Dispensary, where they have Escape Artists, which is the highest awarded topical brand in Colorado that prioritizes quality and consistency. They have ratios available in one to one and high ratio CBD 20 to one. They've got it all and they just open their biggest new store it's the barnum location one block off sixth avenue and federal it's their biggest store with specialty products only offered at that location so you got to check out that location and they are giving you special 420 deals starting on april 20th going throughout the following week their five best selling products will be buy one get one for one dollar you can't beat that deal and another deal you can't beat is when you check out light shade whether you're online or in one of their 11 denver metro stores use the code DNVR, whether you're in person or online, you'll get 20% off all non-sale items. So check them out. Check out the Barnum location, one block off 6th and Federal, and check out Lightshade Dispensary and use that code DNVR to get 25% off. All right, Mace, you teased it right before that. You said that the succession plan is a big deal. And to me, it's, it's the biggest potential negative about him owning the team is Mace, the Broncos just went through this. And in fact, they're, they're still going through it for nearly a decade of having uh, a, a, an owner that that uh, that passed away and that was incapacitated for the first couple of years before he passed away. And we've just seen how much of a mess it was that there wasn't a, an extremely clear succession plan set up. And talking about a guy that's 77 years old, you have to bring this up and talk about what that succession plan is going to be, especially when you're talking about the Broncos who have just gone through this. Yeah, you've got uh, now he he has a son who lives here in Colorado. That's Ben Walton. I referenced him earlier. He actually graduated from CU. And I mean, he obviously 
Rob Walton has three children, but you would hope that part of his plan is saying one of these children, specifically one of my three children, this specific child will inherit the team. And that's what I hope the estate planning calls for, not splitting it among three and letting and and letting them potentially duke it out. I hope that he I, I personally hope that if he buys the team, that his estate plan calls for a division of assets in which the Broncos aren't divided among three, but go to one and maybe named right away that one of his children said, I want, this is what I want my legacy to be. I, I, that you passed down to me and I want my legacy to be the Broncos. And again, we're just speculating and spitballing here, but it would not surprise me at all. If in terms of the process of Rob Walton investigating this involves some conversations with his children to figure out which one, if any really wanted that to be, their business, their legacy, and maybe even it's a case where Rob Walton buys the team, but effectively the ch- the child that says, I want to run this takes over right away. Right. And, is, and that and child becomes the president of the team. Becomes president of the team. And then when and then when Rob Walton passes, then the team as far as part of a dip, let's say that let's say the assets are worth $81 billion by the time that Rob Walton goes away. That each child gets $27 billion effectively, and the Broncos are part of a $27 billion clump that goes to one child rather than being spread, spread among. Because I think this is how you avoid long-term potential chaos and discord with the ownership and, you kinda, and, and, and keep things kind of going down one line. I think that gives the best chance for this to work over the decades. And so most people may say, well, why didn't Pat Boland do that? Well, the reason Pat Boland didn't do that is because all, nearly all of Pat Boland's wealth was the Broncos. So right. all of his wealth, when it was passed down to his kids, had to be had to split up the Broncos in order for that wealth to be split up evenly with Rob Walton. Like you said, Mace, if he's worth eighty billion dollars, uh, then that's what that's what you do. You just say, okay, well, this this five billion is of the Broncos is going to be part of your twenty five billion that you get, and then boom, it's easy like that. That's something that Pat Boland did not have the opportunity to do, but it is something that Rob Walton has the opportunity to do, and it should be pretty darn easy to do. So that, that should be a big relief, but that's something that I think probably not just the NFL, but the Broncos will want to see. And his bid is look, especially Joe Ellis, who is just, who's been so worn down by this process and knows how tough it's been on the city and the organization. He's going to want to see that. And Rob Walton really has an easy way out here is by saying, okay, my other kids who don't really want to want, want to run an organization or want to run a football team or own a football team, They'll just get an extra five billion in their estate, while the other kid gets a uh, a, a football team. So, may should, yeah. should the Broncos do research on his 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 kids and potentially who's going uh, to 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 take over, or is that something that they can't get too in the weeds about right now? Because Rob Walton's potentially just going to offer them five billion or whatever and blow them out of the water. I would certainly hope that the trust uh, did its homework and. Uh, and 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 asked the asked these questions when they uh, when they spoke with Rob Walton and Rob Walton's representatives. Now, I mean, that being said, if he offers the most cash, even if he doesn't have a plan, again, the fiduciary responsibility that we've both spoken of with the trust, there's not a lot they can do. But 
I would be shocked if Joe Ellis and the trust did not have that conversation with Rob Walton and his representatives in part to avoid the kind of, uh, the kind of stasis that the franchise uh, was, was in, was in for a while. Now they were able to kind of keep, you know, they were able to keep going on the football side and obviously it wasn't successful the last few years, but they did win a Super Bowl under trust ownership. Don't forget. So it's not, mm-hmm. it's not like it was all bad after it passed into trust stewardship and certainly a better decision at quarterback might've made things look a lot better in the last yeah. few years. So <laughs> yeah. I don't think, I don't think trust ownership is, was the, was the, the negative that a lot of people perceived it to be. However, there are certain things that have been on hold that they, the trust is very strongly believed should be the decision of a new owner. Like for example, a lot of people like to talk about the uniforms, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that is that is a extremely powerful visual signature that they have believed should be the decision of an of an owner and not a not a relatively temporary trust bridging a gap between Pat Bowen and whoever came next. Even like the decision whether to retire number twenty four for Champ Bailey. It's unofficially retired except for that brief period that we'd rather not mention where Pac-Man Jones wore number 24. But that is another thing that is considered to be a decision that should belong to the ne- to an owner rather than a bridge trust between ownerships. So there's a, there's little things, there's, there, there's big things, there's symbolic things that have just kind of been on hold waiting for someone permanent to come in. And that kind of lesson tells me that you don't want to have this repeat over and over again for another few years. I mean, the trust is going to be eight years in July since the trust officially assumed stewardship of the team. So I think you want to avoid that sort of thing and you want to have a clear succession plan. And if, and that's something I think the trust would have, would have, would bring up in conversation. Yeah, exactly. And to wrap this conversation about Rob Walton up, we have a comment coming in from Travis who says, do you think he would be like Jerry Jones or would he let George Payton do his thing? Does Rob Walton know enough about football to be that involved? That's what we don't know. Mm-hmm. And we don't know his level of football now knowledge at this point. And uh, I mean, I haven't found much football in his background. Have you Zach? Uh, I have not. I have yeah. not. And that and that is a risk that, that you take with really any owner since Peyton Manning can't buy the team outright uh, or John Elway can't buy the team outright. Any person that's going to buy the team is not going to have extensive background of football. And you don't know if going to, to just be very hands off and say, I'm going to hire the right people to run it. If they're going to keep George Payton, even though George Payton has seemingly done a tremendous job, a guy that's worth $70 billion maybe could come in and say, yeah, I'm writing the checks. I want my guy in charge. No, I don't care what George Payton's done. And and fire George Payton, fire the entire staff, and it's going to cost such a fraction of his money. He's not going to care about it. So even though I would keep George Payton, if I were Rob Walton, he may come in and, and say no. He may want to be making the decisions in the draft. Uh, you, you just don't know that. You just have to trust that he's going to do the right thing for the organization. You hope that he's going to look at what has happened in the last in, in the last 15 months since George Payton took the job, good draft trading for Russell Wilson and say, okay, I want more of that. I want to see where this, this goes. I mean, the example of what not to do, for example, is Dan Snyder, who is the perpetual example for what not to do as 
an owner and what it didn't take him long after he bought Washington in 1999 to fire Charlie Casterly, who had been their GM for the last of their Super Bowl wins, who had uh, who, who'd seen the team decline and then rebuilt it. And Casterly's last act as general manager effectively was the 1999 draft, which included uh, executing that trade with New, or- with New Orleans when New Orleans was so desperate for Ricky Williams and fleecing them for, ba- for their entire draft. And oh, by the way, also drafting a Hall of Famer in Champ Bailey, walking out the door. And, it's not too bad. Yeah, and and the reward for that was a handshake and a dismissal. And uh, not long after that, Casterly was off to the Houston Texans. So you and part of that was because Dan Snyder, one of the people that he was involved with, is in his investment group on a small level was uh, Fred Smith from FedEx and Fred Smith from FedEx. He was he FedEx is based in Memphis. Was very close with Pepper Rogers, who was who been a college football coach and actually coached in the USFL in Memphis. And Pepper Rogers was whispering in um, in Dan Snyder's ear. Yeah, hope there's not somebody like that whispering in Rob Walton's ear to cause him to make a rat. What I think would be a very rash move in moving on from a general manager who's done. By and large, a terrific job if you look at the the entirety of the last fifteen months. Yeah, you're exact. You're exactly right. And May, speaking of George Payton and some moves he's going to have to make, let's dive into our continuing series and look at prospects that could be there for the Broncos at pick sixty four. Yesterday we talked about David Ojabo. Today. We're going to go to the other side. Speaking of a guy who would be blocking Ojabo on the edge, we're going to talk about Abraham Lucas, an offensive tackle coming out of Washington State. He is massive, 6'6", 315. Some some reports say he's 6'7". 319. Uh, our guys, Andre Simone and Jake over at the Draft Podcast, do a great job. They say his strengths are ideal size and length to put to play the offensive tackle position in the NFL, smooth hands and feet and pass protections. However, his weakness is he's not a mauler in the run game and will need time and polish to adjust to the NFL. And Mace Abraham Lucas is more of a project uh, guy to get, but he is talented. He does have all of the physical attributes that you want. And unsurprisingly, coming from a program like Washington State, he's a guy that can pass protect really well, but it does struggle in the run game because Washington State, what do they do? They drop back you know, 70 times per game, at least they had in the past when Abraham, what was really in that program and establishing himself there. He's a four year starter. uh, And again, just really has to work on run blocking. But I think if you have to, to, to press me right now, would you rather have a run blocker uh, or a pass blocker? I'd say I want the guy that's better in pass coverage now that the Broncos have Russ. Yeah, that's more important. Now, uh, one thing that uh, just doing some quick, some, some quick analysis on him uh, that, he does take a few too many false start penalties for, yeah. for for your liking and watching him really, really quickly. And you can say this for a lot of offensive linemen, but his foot, his footwork is inconsistent at time to- at times. Now you love, you love the raw, the raw size, six, six and three, eight. You said three fifteen. some measurements at 319, 19 pounds. Arms are sufficiently long enough to play tackle at 33 and seven eighths of an inch. So he's got the measurables aren't, aren't a question, but 
the the fact that the run blocking and the footwork needs polish, I think this is why you're talking about Abraham Lucas being somebody who could be available late in the second round. Right? If he were a bit more refined, I think you'd be talking about him in round one. The work kind of the, the work he needs probably drops in round two, and also means he's probably not a plug and play guy. Probably need probably needs at least a camp, or maybe kind of like Quinn Miners, maybe he needs a camp plus kind of a half season of practice to get his feet under him before he's ready to go. Makes a lot of sense, though, Mace. The Broncos have a huge hole at right tackle after this season. All three guys that are competing for the right tackle spot are free agents in 2023. So you need a guy to develop for the future, and you don't need a sixth-round guy to develop for the future. You need a guy that's going to that you're putting your stamp of approval on saying he is our guy at right tackle for the future. He just needs some time to develop and you have the perfect situation because it's not like you're paying Billy Turner $10 million where he's guaranteed to be the starter. If you go out and you draft Abraham Lucas and this off season and then training camp, he looks really good. Well, then he can start above Billy Turner. You, you don't have to put a guy that's making tons of money on the bench. He has the opportunity to jump all the way up to number one. However, if he's not ready, you have Billy Turner, who, who's been a starter the past three years with Nathaniel Hackett out in Green Bay. You have Calvin Anderson, who the Broncos are very high on. Uh, you have guys there that can start. And maybe Abraham Lucas is sitting all the way until 2023. There's also a chance that he's he's sitting, just like you said, the Quinn Miners plan, coming in middle of the season and then becoming a starter. Yeah, and I, and you also kind of think about the, the long-term plans, of course, you know, Garrett Bowles, what if Nathaniel Hackett and this staff don't like Garrett Bowles as much as John Elway did when he gave him the extension? I mean, it's even possible we might be talking about Abraham Lucas replacing Garrett Bowles at some point, probably in 2023, not for 2022. I think Bowles really Bowles really kind of has a little bit of a prove-it year this year coming, even though he's got that, that big contract in terms of proving whether he's in long-term plans or not, and Lucas would give you another option there. I mean, Mace, to build off that, Garrett Bowles this year, he's certainly on the team. Next year, he has a cap of $18 million. The year after that, he has a cap of $20 million. His dead cap, though, next year, only $8 million. So you would save $10 million against the cap next year and $20 million against the cap the year after that. That is, uh, that is That's a lot of savings. So you're absolutely right. You are thinking about not just the right tackle future, but the left tackle future as well. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I think that uh, that certainly the eight million dead cap is palatable. But I think if Lucas comes along and we know about the bond that Nathaniel Hackett and Billy Turner have, they've both spoken of it. I mean, what if you're looking at a situation where Lucas comes along and Billy Turner shows he can still play? Maybe you're looking at trading Garrett Bowles in the mm. next offseason, perhaps, and maximizing the, the value there. And especially if it might get you some draft capital back in return, which you do need for 2023. Abraham Lucas, I think, would give you a lot of options there at, in terms of your tackle planning. I think so too. And because he's weak in in the run game, because he hasn't done that much, that's what would knock him down to the end of the second round. So very talented guy there has all the physical tools you want. I really like him. We got to keep an eye on him. We had a quick super chat coming in from CTOD ghost that said, RK said in the Russell Wilson episode, we get a sugar daddy, LOL. Well, Rob Walton would certainly be a sugar daddy to the tune of $70 billion. And Mace, let's round off this podcast by talking to the people in the comment section. And before we do, would like to everyone, I'd like to ask everyone that's tuning in on YouTube to hit us with a thumbs up. We would really appreciate it. Subscribe to our channel. 
turn on alerts. Those mean a lot to us, especially hitting us with the like and tuning in live and watching over on YouTube. For those of you tuning in on the podcast side, we really appreciate the OGs that have been rolling with us for years, over half a decade, which is so crazy. And if you wouldn't mind hitting us with a five-star review over on iTunes as well, we'd really appreciate appreciate that. And let's get to the comment we have. Mace is coming in from Melbourne Bronco. It says, my boys, great news. Kareem Jackson has come back. Our defense is so much better when he's crashing in. Quick non-football question for Mace. Only because he doesn't have a Denver bias, what chances do you give the Nuggets and Avalanche going all the way this year? The Avalanche chances are entirely based on whether Darcy Kemper can prove worthy of a deep playoff run because it's the only thing that is it comparable in importance to a quarterback in football in terms in terms of success is a goalie in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I was going to say even yeah. more so in hockey because you, you do see like defenses start to take over in the right. NFL come the playoffs or you have a special player. Uh, Tom Brady's stats aren't that great in Super Bowls. He has some good games, but overall, it's not like he's throwing three touchdowns, no interceptions, 300-yard games, no. But in the NHL playoffs, to add to your point, Mace, you may even say a goalie when it comes to that final series is maybe even more important than a quarterback. Right, and it, you could even argue, you could argue that. And again, like the quarterback and goalie in the Stanley Cup playoffs, it's like they're up here and everything else is kind of down here in terms <laughs> of importance. Yeah. And I mean, I just, I'm Tampa Bay Lightning fan. I can tell you for all the, for all the talent that they have, the most important player in terms of winning back-to-back Stanley Cups is Andre Vasilevsky in net. And even when the team is slump, has, it has been, they they hit kind of a lull in the last couple of weeks and they're going to have a low, relatively low seed in the East. If Vasilevsky is playoff Vasilevsky, then the seed doesn't matter for them. Darcy Kemper, there have been the flashes. And the flashes are one of the reasons why he's an Avs goaltender in the first place. I mean, there was that one game in the in the bubble in 2020. The, the Coyotes only won one game that series against the Avs. And Darcy Kemper was just out of his mind. So if you get that kind of Darcy Kemper in the postseason, absolutely the Avs can win the Stanley Cup. But again, for all the talent that they've got, it's all going to come down to whether Kemper can be the Kemperer. As it will, and then as it will, and then for the Nuggets, um, I talked, to, I had a conversation about this yesterday. Um, it really is troublesome that Draymond Green is healthy and rounding into form right now. You you imagine that 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 he that he's going to have some responsibility against Nikola Jokic, and Steph Curry's health that that that's a concern for the Warriors right now, but they're if they get him back, they're going to be healthy and peaking at the right time. I don't like this series for the Nuggets. I think that being said, they can get game one in San Francisco. That's going to be the game. That's going to be the game changer. If they get game one, I think they can win this series. But if the, if the Warriors take game one, I think it's going to be Warriors in, in six or seven. The Nuggets will put up a fight, though. I don't think this is going to be a capitulation like against the Suns in the conference semifinals last year. but. That's 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 my take. I'm much more optimistic about the Avs chances than the, than the Nuggets. But next year with be, with knock on wood, better health. I think everyone I think everyone's expectation for the Nuggets should be NBA finals. 
Well, we're all touching wood for that. And yes, it absolutely should be. And on top of that, the Nuggets do have the hottest player in the NBA. The past two months just came out during our pod that Jokic has been named the player of the month for a second straight month. And you know what? I'll say he's the hottest player in the NBA the past two years, the best player in the past two years, as he should be following that up with back-to-back MVP awards as Mace is signing. And Mace, this has been a great pod. Thanks for being the MVP and rolling with me on this. And thank you for everyone tuning in. We really appreciate it. Don't mind giving us a thumbs up on your way out. We'd really appreciate it. And thank you all so much for rolling with us. We'll be back to you tomorrow on a normal noon pod on Wednesday. Tune in and we really appreciate it. Have a terrific Tuesday. Roll out the truck and took a country drive Now understand that you need some time I know some landmarks we used to hit We're flying cotton